Somewhere there's danger, somewhere there's injustice, and somewhere else the tea is getting cold. Classic lines spoken by a classic doctor. Today, our guest is Sylvester McCoy. Welcome to Who's the Best? I'm your host, Hoovian Sandro Minetti. And the question before us, who's the best Doctor Who monster? Will it be the Autons or the Axons? The Cybermen or the Silurians? The Daleks or the Weeping Angels? Helping us decide are the aforementioned Sylvester McCoy. Welcome, sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, The Seventh Doctor and the man who regular uh, listeners will know was almost the Eighth Doctor, the man who was cast to succeed Sylvester McCoy until the powers that be changed their mind two weeks later and handed the part to Paul McGann. He's not bitter, are you? Harry Van Gorkum. Hello, I thought we weren't going to mention this. <laughs> well, this I is actually... I thought we weren't going there. Oh, let's... Start let... of the show, straight in. <laughs> let's... Let... This is actually a moment in Doctor Who history. It's what so nearly happened in 1996. Sylvester's Doctor died in a hail of bullets and then almost regenerated into Harry Van Gorkum. What kind of doctor would you have been, Harry? Very good one. I'm sure. Uh, very malleable. I mean, a lot of Sylvester McCoy in me because I loved the fact that he was clown-like. Quite a lot to start with, actually. But then you got very serious. And Indeed. I loved the fact that you got kind of... You started to manipulate people around you. Well, the reason for that was when I got the job, I hadn't seen Doctor Who for years. In those days, there was, they were just bringing in VCR... You could record it, but before that you couldn't. It went out on a Saturday, that was it, never seen again. And so I had a distant, distant memory of it, and that was Patrick Troughton. So when I got it, it was kind of a clown-like feel, and I arrived with my clown-like bag of tricks. And it was only when I first did the first story, I thought, wait a minute, this is one of the greatest parts on television. This is the hamlet of television. I didn't realise I was being handed such an important and huge part, and that you could mine this part for so many things. You could be so many things within this character. I also thought too much was known about him. I wanted to bring back the mystery, Mm. and so therefore I wanted to bring back the who and the question mark. And in order to bring back the mystery, you had to make the audience start to question themselves and in order to do that you had to make them manipulative and darker mm. and that's what the the journey that we were on Andrew Cartmel the script editor and I we saw eye to eye and he like me he was a Canadian he hadn't really seen Doctor Who so we were two you know new guys who didn't know what the rules were so we broke everyone without knowing it that's you great. certainly did I mean in preparation for this interview I was watching back on Britbox all your episodes and yours are that's like why you've aged any other I know I was only 14 at the start of this process. Um, But unlike any other Doctor, your character goes on such an arc. Um, As Harry mentioned, he starts off whimsical, but by the end he's so secretive, manipulative, this kind of games master. And you Mm. you said you had Andrew Cartmill, the the script editor, sort of on side. I, I wonder if the producer, John Nathan Turner, felt the same way or you were butting heads because there's not many actors who can take an established character for whom you always press reset at the end of each episode and take him on such a journey. How easy was it to accomplish and how 
do you look back on that arc now? Well, I mean, as far as John Nathan Turner is concerned, he just said, here's the key to the TARDIS. It's mm-hmm. yours. Do with it what you will. Wow. And that was it, really. And so I did. That's yeah. unusual, too. Yeah. To it is, that. it is. I was, I was very lucky. I mean, I really was very lucky. And, uh, I mean, obviously, GNT liked what was happening. At first, I think he wanted the whimsical, light-hearted doctor, you know, but then he realised that it could go elsewhere. And, of course... For an actor, I mean, you know, what a, yeah, what a, yeah. you know, and also I had to juggle all those. I had to keep the comedy going right. with the, you know, the tragedy because also I wanted to bring the the, the tragic journey the Doctor had been on because he he was nine hundred and fifty years old. He'd lost all those companions. He'd seen terrible things, and that was all part of the thing inside it. That's and the darkness, the, in the, it. and yeah, but the well, the darkness was there, and the tra- yeah, the and the yeah, the darkness and tragedy of it all. Um, my granny at the time, lived to be 100. And in those years, that wasn't very common. And I went to visit her, and she was compassmentous and fit. But she inspired me with that weariness of longevity of life. And that's what I kind of tried to bring into it as well. Even though you um, eventually sort of left, left the part, you never stopped being Doctor Who. I mentioned all the reruns, and new generations are discovering your Doctor all the time. How has carrying this great responsibility impacted the way you live your life in social situations? Because I imagine every day there's someone who's excited to see you and wants to talk about the, the Doctor. It's not like another part that you can just shake off. Has it, has it remained with you in situations like that? Oh, yes. I mean, I've never not been the Doctor because when it finished on television, we started it uh, in underground um, versions of it with the fans, and that gradually grew into the big finish, which mm-hmm. those of who are Doctor Who great. Fans, yeah. yeah, and they've gone, you know, they're really good. And so we, we never stopped doing it. But, I mean, I did all sorts of other things off it. And uh, no, I embraced the fact that I, people loved Doctor Who and therefore they kind of loved those that were in it and were the Doctor. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a privilege, really, mm. you know. And so, I mean, sometimes, is. you know, people, dump, you know, they come down the road and, you know, and I, I go into a telephone box and try to disappear, but that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Only when I'm a bit drunk and I don't want them to see like that. It's a privilege I'll never taste, Sandra. <laughs> well, let me tell you, because you were a huge Doctor Who fan growing up, huge. weren't you? Huge. So um, how much do you think it was the monsters of, of Doctor Who that made you fall in love or fall in fear of the programme? The monster was, was, was the hiding behind the couch. Mm-hmm. You, you never, you know, hid behind the couch when the Doctor was around. It was these incredible monsters they created. And even looking back, I've been looking back and, you know, for, this, for this podcast and doing mm-hmm. some research. And the special effects, let's be honest, sometimes weren't great. But the actual costumes, the work that went into the costume was, was incredible. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. the, 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 the formations, the, the bodysuits, the masks, the, the actors inside them, you know, portraying these, these creatures with the voices... It was it was incredibly ahead of its time. Well, I think the Daleks when they arrived, they terrorised a nation. Right. And I mean, there are photographs of London Town when when the Doctor Who was on, and, um, and there was no one on the streets mm-hmm. uh, because it was the Daleks were in it. They made they, they they became nearly stole it from the Doctor in many ways, and I think that they I didn't feel I was a real Doctor until I worked and defeated the Daleks. Now, once I did that, I thought, yes, I am the Doctor. Yes. <laughs> and at Cole Hill School is where you defeated yes, them as well. Yeah. So, so bringing the whole history of the programme together, now your Doctor got to tackle another of the, of the classics, the Cybermen, as, as well. Yes, yeah. Why do you think they have endured so, so well? 
Um, well, I mean, you, you know, robots with, you know, I don't know, really, this how scary and horrible, really. But I, I'm, I noticed that they keep changing their costume. They must, you know, there must be a shop, uh, one of those planets where they <laughs> go in and say, hey, what's the latest? They got a bit updated for this every, season. Every season yeah. What do I wear yeah. this season? Yeah. They modernize them each, each yeah, season. Yeah. Exactly. Now the uh, the modern series um, has had uh, you know the, the the classic monsters and uh, a, a lot more sort of high tech one with the advantage of special effects that you were referring to uh, uh, earlier. How do you think the new series has effectively brought in the the monsters and do they remain as scary or are they even more so now given technology? Well, I, funnily enough, I think you know they've got them CGI and all that. But the monster that really frightens me in the 21st century Doctor's one is the Weeping Angel. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I mean, that, that's just like the old-fashioned ones that you would have had in mm-hmm. the classic yeah. Doctor. You know, mm-hmm. someone in, dressed up yeah. in the thing. And they're quite terrifying. Mm. Yeah. Because if, if you look at them, they don't move. And yeah. as soon as you don't look at them, they move. So yes. that's a horrible thing of like, I've got to watch them. Yes. But if I turn my back for a second... Yes, evil is going to, you know. But they're also three-dimensional, yeah. and, yeah. and they're there. I th- the problem with CGI is, I think you can, you know, somewhere you can tell it's two-dimensional yeah, yeah, yeah. somewhere, yeah, and you know, yeah. it's not real. No. And um, many people who have gone back to the classic doctors and I've met and talked to, they they speak about they like it for that reason. Yeah, exactly. You know that it's real, and some some of the things that we achieved, especially in the, my, my years, you know, were very technical and difficult and dangerous and I think that's good you know right. they nearly blew me up about three or four times yeah <laughs> I mean I know right enough yes I did owe them money the guys the budget, the guys but, you know come on it was always the last take of the day yes <laughs> and I did promise them a drink <laughs> It's Who's the Best Doctor Who Monster with Sandro Manetti, monster impersonator Harry Van Gorkum and the legend Sylvester McCoy. Now, Harry, if we look back at Sylvester's era, there were some yes. great monsters yes. there. My favourite, and I believe yours as well, the Hemovores. era. Yeah. For anyone unfamiliar with that, tell us who the Hemovores were. Hemovores were, were, this, were, these, were these really creepy. I mean, I remember as a kid, and there was always so many of them. They, they, were, they were this vampiric um, species. Mm-hmm. They were they were evolved humans who lived under the sea and they'd come out from under the sea and they would kill you by suckering you with their suckers. This is in Curse of Fenric. Curse of uh, Fenric uh, in 1989. Yes, you might say they kill you with suckers. I always felt sorry for the people inside the costume because they were suckers. Because, (laughs) I mean, they were stuck under the freezing water and they had to to film them crawling out and they were dripping when they were wet. I used to feel so sorry for them. And they got these huge heads, they got these these, these long fingers. I think they had three fingers with a long claws. I mean, my sons came down to visit me one day. Sunny day in, in the English countryside and we were filming in an old railway tunnel and it was dripping and muddy and wet. And the producers saw my Jonathan Turner saw my sons and said, "Oh, do you want to be tech?" And he put them in. You know, he dressed them up, so really? they, they ended up being uh, little monsters. How old I were mean, your sons? Then? They were typecast. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a scene. There's a scene actually in it, which which I which I remember. You had Ace, who was your your partner. Yeah. The lovely what was um, Sophie. Sophie. Thank you. And there's a scene in a church, which I never forget, where you're in a church and the hemovores are coming through the door, yeah, coming through the window. It's almost like a zombie attack. Yeah. And you're fighting them off at the window. She's fighting them off yeah. at the door, vice versa. You've got the, the colonel there trying to help out. And then suddenly, for no reason at all, she disappears and runs up to the top of the tower. Yeah. And she's at the top of the tower 
where she changes her jacket, puts some sort of special assault jacket on, and gets out the most dangerous escape ladder I've ever seen, which is this tiny little ladder which he rolls <laughs> over the top of the parapet, you know, 40, 50 feet down. Yes. And then starts climbing down it. I know. We were all under, outside uh, looking up, watching. I mean, it was terrifying. I'm, I'm sure you were looking up, watching, because there was a shot, I remember. As a kid, I remember this very clearly. Mm. When she steps over the parapet... Yes. And then she gets to the bottom, two hemovores come and attack her, yeah. and there's a flash of stocking. There's a flash of... You remember that, do you? I remember yes, that yes, as, yes, a, as, yes. a, as a young, previous boy. That was a bit shocking, boy. that flash of stocking. Yeah. But, but the crazy thing is, talk about the danger when you were doing it earlier on. This camera work of someone actually climbing down that ladder with a holding a camera to get her POV, you yeah. know, her point of view. No, and Sophie down, did most crazy. of it. She did most of it. There was a stunt girl there, but Sophie did. Oh, she was. Because we was both great. insisted that we were in doing our stunts as many of them as we could. Because yeah, yeah, that was yeah. part of the fun of it, really. Yeah. They were, they were, they were scary. The humorous. On an earlier show, we had uh, Burt Ward, who played Robin in Batman, and he said that uh, Adam West had a stunt double, but he didn't have a stunt double, so was sort of constantly injured. Yeah. Um, I, I know that Sophie Aldred almost died in a water tank at one point. Yes. Did you have any scary uh, Well, moments? I saved her life. You did? Really? Tell us about yes. that. Yeah, yeah. what happened was that we were in the studio. It was the last shot of the day, as you know. It cannot do any more. It has to be done in one go. And they were pouring water into this water tank, a big tall glass thing. And Sophie was in there going, help, doctor, help. And I noticed it started to bulge. And I thought, that's not right. <laughs> and so I, I shouted immediately, hoping. I remember thinking, they must do this. They mustn't think I'm acting. I said, get her out of there. Luckily, there were two men up top pouring the water in. And I, Sophie was doing this. So they grabbed Sophie's hand and pulled her out. And the glass shattered and tons of water came rushing out into the studio. And, of course, there was electricity all over the place. So I ran for the nearest, um, you know, wooden stairs and shouted, switch off the electricity. Yes, yes. <laughs> and just for a, a second. Down. Yes. For a second, I was a superhero for real. And yeah. I wasn't wearing my underpants on the outside of my trousers. No. Oh. Doctor Who never did that no, no he no. didn't he used no. his brain not he his brawn but you had a cool costume though didn't you, well, you know? thought, yes well it wasn't yeah. very cool in the heat that pull over how much of the cost and design are you in because we've had this on doctor and we were talking before how much of the costume choices are yours or are they are they chosen before you, you it was a mixture doing? really the hat uh, was chosen by john nathan turner because i went to the interview with my hat uh-huh. like that and he mm-hmm. said i like that hat i'd like that in doctor who and i said well i go with the hat and that's how i got the job the hat so, yes always wear uh, my advice to someone going for an audition always wear something unusual a visual unusual thing is a very good thing to do because oh. the, the, the maybe mem- this is what you should start that's, trying Harry right. what were you wearing what going wrong I've just got to get more hats what, so a a hat hat crazy scarf. Scarf. what did you wear for your Doctor Who audition a lot a very cool long black coat I had Oh, right. Calvin Klein long black coat. Oh, okay. right. come, yeah. I got it from actually the movie I saw. Well, that's why you. Rob Lowe. I mean, you got it. You got yeah. the the role, didn't you? The producer the over here yeah. wanted you to do it, but it was yeah. just. Yes. Uh, it was the two producers, and we went to Fox and tested. Yeah. Mm. The, the 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 listeners know this story well. If you uh, listen to Who's the Best Doctor Who uh, episode I, one, yes. series one, series one. Uh, Harry's entire mm. heartbreak is. Yes. Uh, is yes. uh, like I handled the, it very well. Yes. Handled it very well. Wasn't bitter about it. No. Still, I've totally got over it. Do you have a tissue? in the studio but I should have been oh by the way I was yeah. with Paul McGann last weekend he sends his love yes good lovely Paul yeah mm-hmm. any message that send you'd like to send uh, to, to Paul nothing Harry? really no yeah. no just just to acknowledge the fact that there was someone else in the run did you know there was anyone else in the running by the no, way no I didn't know anything about it no. really and you were on it for a few days or just for a couple, two weeks two weeks yeah 
Was he it nice? Was a six week shot. <laughs> shot. Was he all right? Who, Paul? Paul McGann. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. I, you know, he's, he was an old friend of mine. I knew him before oh. he did it. Oh, right, right. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry to inform yeah. you that... Yeah. Well, I mean, no, you can't like, blame Sylvester for it. I know where you're listen, going. He's a lovely you're, guy. You think Sylvester had Winner a word. and I, yes. brilliant. <laughs> I didn't think he was a very good Doctor Who, personally. Yeah. He didn't have much time, but no, yes. Well, exactly yeah. didn't, because, he, he, you know, he was brought yeah. on the last minute. Yeah. Wonder but why. like Sylvester, he continues to play the part for Big Finish in the audio dramas and is yes. uh, doing a great uh, yes. job with, with that. Now, Sylvester mentioned before um, the actors in the Doctor Who costumes and uh, what heroes they are and, and what they put up with. So, I must say that, yeah. can I just... When I did Doctor Who, I suddenly realised the unsung heroes of Doctor Who were the costume actors. Right. And so um, I got some people to do a video, an audio, a, a celebration of them. And we, did, we brought out this uh, video to celebrate the unsung heroes of really? Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. And they were the monsters. Where can we see that? Well, I, it's out there somewhere. It is? Yeah, it's out there. It was, I mean, yeah, on VCH. Or and was it, as we'll find out soon, was it actors who had come back again and again yes. and again? Who yeah, had the it was skills? the ones that had worked. You know, we got as many as we could who had worked on on them that were still alive um yeah and they came in and they chatted about it and it was it was, it was just a, a homage to them but also the wardrobe designers i mean you know the humivores there were probably 30 or 40 of those things in one shot yeah. there was a lot of them that's a lot of makeup a lot of special you know a lot of the costuming well, the hands the, the making the wonderful thing about doctor who was that the people involved in it were passionate about doctor who Right. And of course, if you were a makeup artist, you know, you might be, you know, making up a politician or doing all that, you know, there's not, or, you know, doing yeah, yeah, yeah. a soap opera. I mean, that's not interesting. You know, they just loved it. Their imagination could go wild. Yeah, and the yeah, costume yeah. people and, you know, the, the designers of the sets, they completely. Uh, Did they it. ever regurgitate any of the any of the costumes, any of the monster costumes to use for other monsters? Did they think, well, we've got hands like that we can mm -hmm. use that for that monster do you think no, I think they were mostly all fresh they pulled them out of the Doctor Who exhibition in my hometown of Blackpool really yes and so I mean, that's, must have been that's so where they many were different monsters and it was a quick turnaround what was your turnaround well it was uh, every two weeks I think wasn't it so two so, weeks you got to create all those monster costumes yeah incredible well they'd have I think they'd have you know yeah I mean when they're doing 46 episodes a year that must have been quite amazing really incredible well it's Who's the Best Doctor Who Monster. Uh, later, we'll be revealing the result of the public vote. But who better to hear from at this point than someone who has appeared in 43 episodes of modern era Doctor Who, each time playing monsters. He's been inside the Cybermen. He's been Daleks. He's dirty been Shadoon. Indeed, dirty, dirty man. <laughs> and all manner of other monsters. His name is... I don't ever want to hear from him now at all, actually. <laughs> well, it's, it's not your time. It's John Davies' time at the moment. I'm sorry, Harry. Let's hear from Doctor Who monster man John Davy. I began by asking John how he first got cast for the show. So how I ended up on Doctor Who was a fortunate accident, to be honest. I went for an open audition to play a character, and I didn't know what it was, and I actually didn't know it was for Doctor Who. So 50 guys turned up at the BBC studios in Landaff, and we spent an entire day marching around, walking around with our eyes closed, under the supervision of Elsa Burke, uh, the amazing choreographer for Doctor Who. 
So at the end of the day, they did say this was an audition to be the Cybermen, which was in season two with David Tennant, which was absolutely amazing because as a young kid, I was a huge Doctor Who fan and still am. And we weren't allowed to tell anybody. So uh, fast forward a couple of weeks, I then got another call. I went to Millennium Effects, tried the suit on. And if the proverbial suit fits, then we got the job. And the rest is history. That was fantastic, doing those four episodes in season two. Little did I know that uh, ooh, 14, 15 years later, I would have then ended up in 43 episodes of Doctor Who, playing many of the monsters, such as the Heavenly Host, Cyberman, Ood, Jadoon, Daleks, of course, uh, Whisperman, uh, and many, many, many more clearly a master of moving like a monster. I then asked John what goes into preparing for these roles. There is a lot involved in playing one of the monsters in Doctor Who. It's not just putting on a suit and uh, walking around in it. You have to actually emote the character uh, and the personality of that creature or monster, which is a lot more difficult than you think, because if you're playing a human role, you can emote the character with your face. If your face is covered up, then obviously your body movements are much more important. So the choreographer Elsa Burke spent uh, plenty of time with us, teaching us how the monsters actually move. Uh, we'd have normally a day to actually uh, rehearse this and try the costumes on and get used to it and then we get let loose on the big screen or the little screen depending on how you watch it but it's not all fun and games there are certain difficulties one has to contend with when portraying a monster interestingly enough one of the hardest things to do in many of these monster costumes is stand still the Cybermen, for example, the costumes weighed four stone, and many of the scenes we are actually just stood still. But trying to keep your body still with such a heavy costume on, and also having to clench your fists and strike that menacing pose, uh, was pretty difficult. Also, as well, uh, a lot of people, if you actually see the uh, Cyberman episodes, when we march, we don't actually swing our arms from left to right. Uh, which is very difficult because the natural gait of your body just wants your body to actually do that. So, uh, a, yeah, a lot of uh, clenched fists and concentration uh, and trying to see, hear, breathe uh, and not overheat. So uh, a, a big part of it, I think, also is uh, being uh, very, very patient. And a lot of the guys on set all became very zen and went to our happy place when times got hard. I then asked John what it's been like to play so many roles on such an iconic set. It has been truly amazing working on the set of Doctor Who. And it's fantastic because you get to see all these amazing actors that actually come along. And we're in our suits and we're watching them from five or six feet away. And it's almost being in... Doctor Who the stage show or the immersive experience. A couple of good stories that I can remember was when I met Kylie Minogue on the set of Voyage of the Damned. So we were wearing the Heavenly Host costumes which uh, were very restrictive vision wise. We couldn't see a thing to be fair and when they actually took my head off Kylie was stood right in front of me about five feet away she just looked up and said, oh, is it hot in there? 
and uh, I got so taken aback and kind of uh, started fanboying out. I just didn't know what to say. So, so I just kind of turned around and went, no, it's all right. Um, that was my I carried a watermelon moment, I think. Uh, probably my most favourite story from the set of Doctor Who was working on The Return of Doctor Mysterio, where I played uh, one of the half-headed drone characters, the, the characters that their heads open up. And we spent a day uh, filming this scene. It was the scene where the shuttle was crashing and Nardol was being uh, strangled through the door. And at the end of that day, I walked past Peter in the corridor and uh, I wouldn't do an impression of his voice because uh, I won't do it justice. And Peter said to me, uh, hello, John, how are you doing? I heard you were at a Doctor Who convention at the weekend. How was it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's fine. You know, all the, the regular people were there. And then I was like, this is so bizarre. Doctor Who is saying to me, I heard you were at a Doctor Who convention. And also, I just couldn't work out how he heard that I was at a Doctor Who convention. It's called uh, Regenerations, which is in Swansea, run by a fabulous guy, Carrie Woodward. And I was like, how on earth did he find out about that? I then found out that Lauren, who uh, was one of the runners on the show... Also, she was at the convention and then Peter asked her what she did at the weekend and she told him and then the story came out that way. Yeah, that was a very meta moment for me, Doctor Who saying to me that he heard that I was at a Doctor Who convention. So that was, uh, yeah, that was absolutely fantastic. And so the moment of truth from the man who's played them all. Which monster is the best in the opinion of John Davy? So who is the best Doctor Who monster? That's a tricky one. I've played so many of the different creatures and characters in Doctor Who that I guess I'll have to be a little bit biased and basically say it's one of the ones that I've played. Probably um, maybe the Cybermen, maybe the Daleks, but it has to be the Daleks. It has to be the Daleks! So, John goes wow. for the Daleks. The Daleks! Um, Shock horror! Uh, well, I know, I, I would have guessed as much as well. Others under consideration include the Cybermen, Giant Maggots, Sontarans, Sea Devils, Zygons, Autons, Axons, Ice Warriors, Weeping Angels, so many more. Um, let's talk with our guests about the first Doctor Who monster they can each remember watching on uh, television. What was your first, Harry? Well, the Hemovores are one of them, because they're the ones that really stuck in my mind. But the one, actually, I've got to write it down. What, who was it? it, was the, it was Anytime the, you're ready, it was, Harry. It was, it was clearly had no, a huge No, no, I'll tell you what it was. It was the Axons. The Axons. The Axons, The Axons. The Axons. The Axons. And you know why? Because um, they were really sexy. Oh, Yes. They were these. They, they were, were these, golden they beauties. They were these golden beauties, and yeah. they, were, they, they were like these, you know, pre-Romanesque figures. And they, all it they was, took on John Pertwee's Doctor in Do 1971, exactly, the Claws exactly. of Axos, the Claws and they of are uh, Peter Capaldi's favourite Doctor. They were, and you know, the, well, you know yeah. the claws. You know the claws of Axos who wrote that? Mm -hmm. Bob Baker. Oh really? Yeah. As in As in Wallace and Gromit. Gromit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they fantastic. Yeah. So anyway, much so, talent around Doctor so, Who. So yes. the Axons, they they wore these one-piece body stockings, mm -hmm. which didn't, which revealed a lot. So again, I think in 1971, I was a very small boy, of course, but I was a young boy, and to see these, especially the the female Axons, mm -hmm. coming out of the spaceship. Axons. 
Is it Axons? It's Axons. I thought it was yeah. Axons. It's Axons. I always thought it was Axons. Axon, Axon. Axons. Since 1971. I is thought it, it was brilliant? Axons. <laughs> mm, anyway, the Axons. They have yes. an Axon there. <laughs> With an accent. The Axons. They, they would wear these gold, had this beautiful gold hair mask and the top piece was a mask here and they were very elegant. But they were deceiving because they would then become these horrible, just these almost like moving plants, which sparked and smoked and were were basically trying to suck the life out of the earth. And uh, John Pertwee was fooled by them. And and then he admits in the end, yes, these are, these are going to suck the earth dry. Uh, But I just, I loved the the sexuality of them Mm -hmm. personally. I thought they they, they were quite, quite erotic. Exactly. So you were watching Doctor Who for a glimpse of stocking and a, and a, and a glimpse of sexy costumes. It's just you know. what stuck uh, in my head as uh, a kid. Uh, uh, something a bit shocking. Um, Sylvester, before you were on the, the show, was there any Doctor Who monster that had an impact on you and really made you sit up and take notice? Well, I do remember one. I think they were repeated in Christopher Eccleston's stories where there were these... Um, Dummies that came to oh, life. The autons. The autons. They were shop room dummies. Yeah, yeah. I, I love them. Those really terrified me way, way, way back when they first came out. Do you know when that was? 1970s Spearhead from Space. All oh, right. right. Who was that? John yes. Percy, yeah. 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 Um, they were called the uh, Nesting Consciousness, oh. aka the, uh, the the Autons. I'm surprised yeah. I didn't remember. And that. there's a cluster, there's a scene where a cluster of these Autons break free from shop front Shops. windows yes. and stalk the streets of London, wreaking yeah. havoc. And their hands and, were, and that's what they recreated in the Christopher Eccleston. Yes, I remember as, seeing as, that. As well. Wow! Yeah. Half the hand would flip open, yeah. and they would shoot this yeah. little gun, and people yeah. would just be mown down. Yeah. yeah. But that uh, was scary. And others from the classic era, there was the uh, the Ice Warriors, who yeah. have served as both friends and, and foes. Uh, there was the Sontarians. Sontarians. The Sontarans had yeah. that... The head. Incredible, that, that's the right. The, the, it was Lynx, first played by Kevin Lindsay, and he takes off the, the helmet and has that peculiar and unique potato-headed Well, the weird thing was, the experience. helmet was the same size, yeah. it was the same shape. As the head. So you look like you before you went into makeup, Harry, it's today. It's true. You know, we kept this, was, yeah. sphere, like this sort of yeah. sphere helmet on, yeah. and then he takes it off, and his whole head is the sphere. Yes. It was amazing makeup, because he was, his mouth yeah. was moving. There was one, like I remember, blown. that frightened me. It was in the underground, something in the underground. There was the room. Yeti was in the underground. Was the Yeti? Yeah, the Yeti was in the, what, the real Yeti? underground. That's right. It's Doctor yeah. Who. <laughs> yes. Yeti in the underground. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, that, that one very yeah. such a long time for before the, waiting for the train to come along. The one that traumatised me was probably my earliest television memory is the, is the giant maggots oh, uh, yeah. in oh, the John Pertwee episode, the, the, the Green Death. I mean, uh, what's unusual about these grizzly grubs? And we were talking before about how uh, how monsters are created. Um, These were were created from inflated condoms. That's right. Inflated condoms were the giant maggots from the Green Death. This is the ridiculous. Something you didn't know about Doctor Who. They they were hugely inflated. How did they get them? And they moved. You know, exactly. Skin crawling, scary beasties. You know, so uh, that's uh, on the slag heap. They were on the slag heap. I remember that. He was driving his truck. That must have helped birth control during that time. It it really did. I mean, hundreds of them. You know, there were there were hundreds of them. Hundreds of them. People were blowing up. Condoms all over the set. That's right. Yes, indeed. So, and and then the uh, the modern era of Doctor Who, uh, we've had so many uh, great characters. Uh, you mentioned the Weeping Angels before. Um, we've had the Silence. Who can forget the gas mask zombies? Oh, 
Are you my mummy? Are you my yeah, mummy? Was, Are you my mummy? Didn't they come yes. back with Chris Eccleston as well? That's right. They, 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 they that's where they arrived. Chris Eccleston. When they That's where they arrived. They, they all yeah. sit up. But funny enough, in that particular story, it was it seemed to be uh, inspired by uh, the Curse of Fenric, mm-hmm. because in that um, that was a Second World War thing as well, and, and Ace picks up a baby, and the baby is a granny or mum. Mm. And Rose does the same thing in that one with the uh, you're my mummy, doesn't she? She picks up a baby and it's her grandfather or mother. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean clearly a, a, a huge uh, influence, uh, and and your your legacy is, is clearly continues to be as as the Doctor creating a, uh, a a character that's really fed the imaginations of all the people who are creating the show. Well, they're now. all that age, weren't they? They were the right they age, and they've yeah. grown up to. As fans to become, you know, producers and writers and creators in Doctor Who. That's why I said there's that energy. It is. And uh, so it's who's the best monster. And uh, before we hear the result of the public vote, it's time to ask our guest today, who's the best Doctor <gasps> Who monster? Uh so, um, I've just put on my Doctor Who scarf. He's got a Doctor the, Who in, scarf. In the, in the studio. I was getting, getting serious. No, I don't need one. I yeah, am Doctor Who. Exactly. Course, course. doesn't need one. So let's start by asking our guests who they think. So this is like um, classic and current right. era of Doctor Who from all of it. Harry Van Gorken, the man who so nearly was Doctor Who, but yes. retains a, you know, a lifelong fan of the show. Yes. Still. In all those many years. Yep. Um, what's the, who's the best Doctor Who monster in your view? It's got to be exterminate, exterminate, exterminate the do- the Daleks. I mean, to me, again, as a kid growing up, these these things appeared on the screen we'd never seen before. Cold, metallic, evil, obviously based on the Nazis. They were these machines that would kill for without any emotion, created by Davros, became iconic with Doctor Who. You've they got- were like tanks. They were. In fact, in fact, Stephen Moffat said they were like insane tanks. Yes, well, I, when I was doing Doctor Who, I remember realising that that's why they terrorised the country in those years. Also, it wasn't too long after the war. Right. And those, the, 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 the image of those tanks in the war and then the image of individual Darlings. tanks coming across London Bridge. Just, but you handled them, you took care of them with the hand of Omega and also with Ace's baseball bat. They were no match for you, Sylvester. And also I talked one to death. You did? did you? Now, the reason yeah. why that happened was they were going to give me the bazooka to blow them up. And I said, no, my doctor does not do that. I'd made the statement, my, my doctor doesn't do violence. He's got a brain and he uses that. Mm. But, we, you know, obviously violence is entertaining yes. so I said I don't do violence but Ace does and of yes. course Sophie was delighted <laughs> <laughs> all these things so when they came to they, they ripped me in doing something violent to this Dalek and I said no I'm not doing it so the, the writers had to go in and write something so in revenge they wrote the longest speech for me to learn and I, so I had to do that talk a Dalek to death how did you what you yeah. just bored it you just bored it to death or just talked it to no, death well I talked to it and it spun around and went <clears throat> disappeared that's the power of Sylvester's I love doctor. the way they used yeah. To die too, and then the foam comes out the top. Yeah, when you took the top off, and there was just this coming out. Oh, I loved it. Oh, great stuff. So, uh, I'm curious to know, aren't you, who Sylvester will pick? Yes, so will it be one from his own era? Mm. Uh, will it be uh, one from the early days? Will it be one from the modern era? Sylvester McCoy, who's the best Doctor Who monster? Well, for me, I thought the one that really delighted me was Lady Cassandra. Oh, interesting choice from the modern era. Yes, Yes. I thought, but also I just thought it was full of great humour because 
it was a um a satire on facelifts i mean that was the most extreme facelift you've ever seen in your she life she was just a, a piece of skin on a curtain just existing it, in the year five billion yeah, but that, still this is staying a, alive those are left left watch out ladies and gentlemen who are having facelifts this is your future yeah. watch that one and of well, course Harry it was played wonderfully it's very familiar it was to played us, wonderfully it's not by, no. it was yeah. played wonderfully by zoe wanamaker zoe wanamaker was great ah, in that wasn't she yeah Oh, what a great, great choice. What about you? What's yours? What's yes. your well, mine is also one from the modern era, and that's the Weeping Angels. Oh, Take yeah. your eyes off an angel, and it's the end for you. Um, I just, I, I think it's probably going to Catholic school and Catholic iconography, always being completely terrifying. You're surrounded by the, them everywhere. The, the idea of these sort of stone angels, uh, which, which creep up on you, and... They sent you back in time as well. Yeah. I thought that was such a scary, yeah. effective weapon. Uh, they first made their debut in the 2007 Stephen, Op- uh, Stephen Moffat-written episode, uh, Blink, um, and have appeared uh, several several times since. And they have such an incredible uh, impact. And, I had a uh, girlfriend. Uh, she was an angel. When I took my eyes off her, I disappeared. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I love that. Do you want to give her a shout out, Sylvester? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Zoe one of my goals. Harry, before we uh, ask the result of the of the public vote, yes. why don't you uh, save us from this uncomfortable moment by either telling us about all the many women who've disappeared out of your life yep, or yep. Um, asking Sylvester some questions about, uh, about his life. Can I go yeah. for option two? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, why not? Oh, pity. I'd like to hear <laughs> Give me option one. So, so I've heard rumours, but I want to hear it from you. How did you get your stage name? Because your real name isn't Sylvester McCoy. Is no, it? my real name is Percy James Patrick Kent Hyphen Smith. At your service, sir. Percy uh, Smith. Yeah, Percy James, James Kent Smith. Kent Smith. Yeah. Double barrel thing. What a great name. I find that when you come to America and you say, my, I've got a double barrel, they think you're talking about a gun. Right, yes, yes. you are, yes. But anyway, I got, it was too long a name, you know, to be put up outside a theatre. You never get a yeah, job yeah, with a yeah. name like that. No. So I had to get a stage name and I was playing the part of An Evening with Sylvester McCoy, The Human Bomb. And in it, uh, the director, Ken Campbell, said to me, yeah, it'd be really great if the audience thought you were real. So in the, in the, the programme, we put Sylvester McCoy, left the Noon Grammar School at the age of 15, went to India and studied with gurus and learned all these skills where I used to explode bombs in my chest, mentally combust cotton wool set light to my head, bang nails up my nose, stick ferrets down my trousers, escape from mailbags. you did all that play, didn't you? You did all that stuff. I did play. all that, yes. You put ferrets down your trousers, that you was put the, nails the, up your nose. Yeah. Yeah, I did all that. Ever get any nasty bites? No, because I had a secret pocket. Oh, what pass. was interesting? We were we, we were exposed on a, we were I'm exposed. Sure you were. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you, where in a, a, a paper, a Sunday newspaper, um, and afterwards the the act was described, and overnight people all over Britain started sticking ferrets down the trousers, but they didn't know about the secret pocket. Yeah. What's the secret ah. pocket? Well, it kind of keeps it protected. Oh, it's, protected. it's, it's not it's between it's, it's you and the... Uh, <coughs> and I had two sons after that, ga- that act. You did? <laughs> so the ferret helped. So getting more serious now. So you also, a bit like me, you were close to a couple of roles you didn't get. Well, yes. Yeah, one of the... I was uh, up for Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo in, Baggins. In uh, yeah. Lord of the Rings. And, uh, and also... Down the, to two. Yeah. yeah. And they, they chose... 
And chose the other bloke. The other bloke. Sure made up for it when you played Radagast in The Hobbit, though, didn't you? Well, obviously, they they must have liked me to have got down to two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they remembered me 12 years later. Maybe there's hope you could be the 14th Doctor. That's what I'm saying. There's still hope. You, Sylvester, is your example. Pirates of the Caribbean, you were almost in that, weren't you? Well, so I'm told. Oh, you didn't know that? No. But people kept telling me I was nearly in it. I thought, oh, well, was I? But you also played the spoons, well, I hear. Oh, yes, no, I'm a, yes, Spoons, yes. I played Spoons with the London Concert Orchestra at the Barbican Hall. Really? Yes, I won the, in the North Pole, I won the Spoon uh, competition. I played with the, what was it, the... uh, The Welsh National Opera? Yes. Did you you sing with them or play Spoons with them? I played, I sang with them. I worked with Sir Garrett Evans, one of the great basses. And as you know, opera singers specialise in roles. And he once told me, he didn't have a sense of humour, he once said to me, oh, he said, you know, boy, oh, he said, I've uh, I've done very well out of my leer. (laughs) And I thought, oh, yeah, that's good. And he said, we're doing Midsummer Night's Dream. And he said, but I've made a fortune out of my bottom. (laughs) And I I started to laugh. But I could see he, he wasn't... Talk, it wasn't. It wasn't making a joke. It was a fact. <laughs> you know. He, <laughs> but you talking did, about but talking you, about Shakespeare, yeah. you um uh you played the fool to Ian McKellen's uh, King Lear uh, did, around yes. the world. That yeah. must have been an amazing experience for you. It was. It was great. I mean, it was so a wonderful role to get, because I, I always thought that in England they sinned in the casting of the fool. Normally they cast the fool as that from an actor. You know, and not, who didn't necessarily have comedy bones, right? And, the, and it is a tragic part. Yeah. But I, when I got when I met Trevor at a party, and he went, "What are you doing?" And they said, "Bang, you, go, you take this job." And I took it, and then I managed to get humour into it, which I'm very proud of. I mean, I boast of this. And I remember Trevor coming around after we did a lot of. Um, previews and he said I've never had so many laughs from this fool but at the same time kept the tragedy right, and I think it was right. all those years of doing Doctor Who having that ballot you that, know getting that, that thing of King and so I, I was very proud of that role and having done that I mean you can see it if you wish it's on a DVD somewhere in a shop no, even very now. good I've seen it it's very it's good but I mean but that's the thing about Doctor Who again when I auditioned for it as many years ago oh it's, it's, did you I did, I did oh, funny enough you did. I'm in the Hobbit you know yes. Yes. really I um, um, but it did, by the it, way watch the five-ish Doctors <laughs> when Sylvester says the line I'm in the Hobbit about every five minutes I love that Just <laughs> but, it, but it is that switch between comedy and drama which you need to have for Doctor Who you've yeah, got to be yeah. dangerous yeah. Evil, and, then, and, the, and the fool has the same thing it has that comedy to extreme tragedy yes but you don't get it a lot in other uh, performances of the fool I found bring it back to uh, Doctor Who Monsters you did uh, an episode uh, I just watched last night The Happiness Patrol in which the villain Helen A played by Sheila Hancock was thought by many to be a caricature of then Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. Yes. Um, w- was it the case that Thatcher was more scary to the production team than any monster? And how aware of you at the time were? You, oh, we were very aware. Oh, you were. Oh, yes. No, we were. We were. We yeah. wanted to write the sentence that brought down Thatcher. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really were uh, that season where the the uh, the, um, the Happiness Patrol also uh, the the one about the tower, the housing, Paradise Towers. Uh, various yeah. towers. Yeah. That was about housing as well as everything else. Yeah. And um, the Daleks was about race. Mm-hmm. The, the remembrance right. of the Daleks was a race thing. And in fact, there was there is a wonderful scene in it, which I did with that um, lovely actor. He played the butler in uh, uh, The Prince of Bel-Air. He and I did this scene in a cafe, and it was a very quiet, introspective mm. uh, scene. And it was about sugar dropping in and the waves that come out and about how sugar and slavery and you know the kind of thing it was a very really 
Brilliant. I love that scene. What was the line that you're going to put into Bring Down Thatcher? Mm -hmm. What was the line you wanted to put into the episode? No, we wanted to write, we wanted to write it, but we obviously didn't. She was still in power after we ah, finished. Yeah. <laughs> Will Margaret Thatcher be voted best Doctor Who monster? Yes. Um, yes. Yes, yes. I've actually seen the results and no, she isn't. Oh. But now it is time to get to the results. Oh, that's right, your drum rolls are drum very, rolls. very good. So let me rolls. explain how this worked. We've done a survey of Doctor Who fans um, at uh, two conventions here in California. SD WhoCon, the San Diego Doctor Who convention. And, when are they uh, going to invite me? And Gallo, this is an open invite to next year, Sylvester. They invited me. Um, and they did, you cheat, you they, just they went around the door. They did actually <laughs> invite Harry. The road. I couldn't go last year. They I think they me. thought you were too expensive, <laughs> Sylvester. I live too far. Yes. Yeah, they're probably right. And the other is Gallifrey One, which you know very well, the yeah. Los Angeles uh, Doctor Who convention. And also the uh, Who's the Best Doctor live show. That, uh, that we did in Hollywood. So all those Doctor Who fans, so maybe a bit of California bias there, but that's who's been surveyed uh, over recent months. And we now have a result with Harry Van Gorkum on drums. I shall announce the results in reverse order. Asked, who's the best Doctor Who monster ever? In third place is... The Cybermen! Oh, yes. that's a good one. That's right. They, they were humans. It. Now they're, they're monsters. That's the Cybermen. Oh, well, Sophie will be disappointed. In second place, the Daleks. The classic no. Doctor Who monster no. not voted not the best by the fans. I'm surprised. Yes. I'm really surprised. Harry, this is like you, isn't it? They're yeah. just they're like the just, nearly men of the yeah. universe. Yeah. The Daleks I, I'm didn't a human quite Dalek. get it. So, according to the tall. fans, the best Doctor Who monster is... Can I do The Weeping Angels! Wow. Hooray! Oh, yes, I thought they were. That's, that's right. So, uh, yes, uh, first of wow. all, a reaction from both of you to the 3-2-1. Cybermen third, Dalek second, Weeping Angels first. Harry, what do you think? I think it's wrong. Sylvester, what do you think? Well, yes, I'm surprised. I thought the, the Daleks overall are the scariest. Yeah. But maybe they're not as scary now uh, in the 21st century because the CGI. But mm -hmm. they were scary when they were three-dimensional in the 20th century. Yeah. Were you scared of them when they were... When you do, I mean, it sounds stupid. When you first saw a Dalek, for example, you must have... You know, yes, no, I remember being, you know, disturbed by it. Right. I mean, it was disturbing. Because they were talking to you on set. I mean, there was the voice was coming out of them as you... Oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> no, because, I mean, I knew who was inside them. <laughs> they were the t the tiny little men because they had to be small. Yeah. And they had, you know, hello. And, no, the voice, was, the voice was way over there at that ah. end of the studio. And the Dalek was there. Okay. And, and it was kind of weird, yeah. you know. Well, we want to hear what you think. So uh, check us out on Instagram at Who's the Best Pod, on Twitter at Who's the Best Pod, and there's plenty more Who's the Best episodes for you to listen to at Who's the Best FM. Thank you, Harry. Thank, Thank you, you, Sylvester. Thank you. Thank you, everybody out Bye -bye. there. This has Bye. been Who's Bye -bye. the Best. Who's the Best? Who's the Best? This is a Right Angles production. You can find out more by visiting rightangles.global.